Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher-level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today, what they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Dr. Jonathan Bakhtari is the Chief Executive Officer of E7 Health, a preventative health and wellness company. He oversees a team of clinicians and software developers who specialize in preventative medicine, vaccinations, and viral testing. Dr. Bakhtari started E7 Health in 2009 and pioneered the concept of combining electronic medical records with practice management software to further simplify the patient experience. Prior to this, he served as a medical director for the state of Nevada at Anthem. Dr. Bakhtari earned his medical degree from The Ohio State University and his internal medicine board certification from Northwestern University. He has a passion for all things related to preventative health, tech entrepreneurism, and business. Hello, Dr. Bakhtari. Welcome to the Healthcare and Higher podcast. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure and a thrill to have you, Jonathan. I've been watching all of the great social media posts and the the, the posts that your company has been putting out, uh, and you're actually a pretty popular guy. So I'm the one that's honored to have you on the show, uh, and I'm really glad that you said yes. So thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I always, you know, like to have my guests introduce themselves. It's always a prime opportunity for some individuals who have probably, uh, you know, have been listening to the show for a while. They enjoy meeting new people, learning about different businesses that healthcare executives and healthcare professionals are involved in. Why don't we take this opportunity and have you formally introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what your role is, and how do you help take healthcare to a higher level? Well, thanks for that question. So, yeah, I'm a I'm a MD, of course. I I went to uh, sort of the straight path of going to college, med school, residency. Uh, I did a residency in internal medicine and a fellowship in pulmonary and critical care. Eventually, you know, became triple board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary, and critical care. Joined a clinical group, taught in a med in a couple of med schools, and uh, then rolled into some administrative positions in hospitals and insurance companies, which eventually sort of led to um, you know this healthcare uh, entrepreneurship and and starting a couple of companies um, based on what I thought was a need or a vacuum, and you know that sort of evolved to E Seven Health, which is what it is today. And and I will tell you that the the services that E7 Health is providing today is is really not just critical, but I think it really, as you pointed out, it fills a need that's been vacant for quite some time. Uh, so for the listeners who are not familiar yet with E7 Health, E7 Health is an organization that started about 20 years ago, and it really starts to grow into uh, what it is now. And I loved your name because I was going to ask you about this. I did a little bit of research, and I love the fact that E7 stands for the seventh uh, focus of healthcare uh, that your company provides, right? So your company does drug testing, 
corporate health services, travel medicine, student health, labs and physicals, vaccine and STD testing, all of which, which on the back end or as a patient, you may be thinking, I know I, I may or may not have a need for this. So it's probably not that critical. But on the back end, if you've ever worked for a company uh, like I have within HR, you realize that, you know, if you're going to bring on a single individual, there are a battery of tests that need to be run both on a, on a, a health a state level, a federal level, vaccines, and just so many things. And I think that one of the things that I really admire about your organization is the fact that you have all of these different services available in how under one banner. And that allows an entity or a client or a company to be able to see value in being able to, to help all of their employees get everything that they need in, in a very convenient capacity. So um, I'm sure you're going to be sharing more with us about you know what E7 is and, and how it operates. I know that it's really gotten a lot of great rate reviews, uh, particularly with the, the self-scheduling that I've heard about and I've seen as well. Um, so I, I won't take, I won't steal any more of your thunder, Jonathan. No, you're doing I just, great. Yeah, I, I just find it fascinating that, you know, a, a company that has been around for two decades has managed to be able to hit on so many pain points for both patients and companies and be able to find a solution for uh, what the world is needing today. Uh, and by the way, your 4.9 out of five stars on Google is is pretty hard to beat as well. So pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, well. Go ahead. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it really is, uh, you know, as you were mentioning those seven sort of kind of uh, categories that we focus on, uh, you know, people say, well, these seem unrelated. I mean, what, you know, what does drug testing have to do with physicals, with STD testing, with travel medicine? But there is an underlying connection and that these were all books of business that adult vaccinations were involved in. And, you know, uh, we started off with you know, refrigerator full of adult vaccines and then said, okay, what what different fields of medicine would this work in? And so whether, you know, you know, people said, well, STD, yeah, well, there's STD vaccines and, you know, student health, employee health. So um, I, I think, you know, we were essentially like almost like a, a COVID company before COVID hit. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people who got into the COVID business pivoted, right? Oh, we were in urgent care. Now we're doing COVID. And you know, we were, you know, whatever, and we're now we're doing COVID and uh, even some non-medical people. So I think, I, which is really good for us because I think the awareness for the impact of adult vaccinations has come to the core. You know, prior to this, you know, whether it's somebody needed for vaccines for work or travel, you know, you know, a lot of people would cooperate, but occasionally we get a lot of blowback. Why do I need all this? Da, 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 da. You know, we get less and less of that because people get it. I mean, like, oh, adult vaccinations. Um, and uh, I think part of our impetus was, you know, there's, you know, the CDC by almost any criteria thinks there's about 50,000 vaccine preventable deaths in the United States annually. Uh, so it's it, it was a void that we, we were really uh, more than happy to fill. Um, and it was really <clears throat> almost all seven portions of our uh, business were people who were were categories that people were doing as sort of like a side hustle. They weren't really focused on it. They were they're in urgent care and they were doing, you know, a TB skin test here or there or Walgreens, you know, is giving out a couple of adult vaccines. But, you know, they're also busy selling Kit Kats and Diet Cokes and diapers. And <clears throat> you know, they're not really you know, it's not like, you know, they wake up in the morning and say, well, you know, we got to make a push in vac adult vaccines. So, so I think, I think the need for to us was obvious. Well, I think that that's a great call out, Jonathan, because, you know, when you see, um, I'm trying to find the right word for it because I don't want it to come across as a negative thing, right? But when you see an entity choose, as you pointed out, they pivot, right? They went from I mean, literally selling like cell phones to doing COVID testing, because that is exactly what I found across the street from from our house. Uh, you know, there, there was a stall, there was a, a, a shop uh, that was literally selling cell phones. And then when the COVID back, when the COVID pandemic hit, uh, suddenly it changed because of a financial incentive. But, you know, those right. are very short lived and, you know, enterprises, right? right? They, they come, they, 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 they gather all of the profit that they can by offering services that range in quality, uh, and then they leave. 
but there's right. no expertise behind it. There's no understanding of, uh, you know, the needs that are in A, a community, B, the financial structure, C, longevity in order to be able to continue quality control and quality outcomes. So when you began uh, E7 Health 20 years ago, I'm really, I'm curious, like, how did you, I don't want to say how did you stumble upon this, but what was the impetus that made you choose to, to launch this business? How did you suddenly become aware that this was what was going on and, and how you saw that this would be the right solution for you to be involved in? Well, I think, first of all, it was, it became obvious that nobody was doing it as their main focus. And I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, I, I would visit clinics and even clinics that were giving out adult vaccines and, you know, uh, you would find, oh, you, you know, you'd open up their vaccine refrigerator and see that they were storing vaccines that were supposed to be frozen in the refrigerator and vice versa. They were giving vaccines that were, because their staff rotated so much, you know, they had no expertise. They were giving vaccines that were meant to be given sub-Q IM and they were giving IM vaccines sub-Q. And by the way, that goes on all the time everywhere i mean no because you know like even a even a uh, a workman's comp clinic you know 95 percent of the work is workman's comp I, they are giving out some employee health vaccines but that's not what their staff is trained on and so it's the wild west i mean you know we i remember talking to a colleague of mine adult vaccinations still is the wild west they're you know um it really, you know, I would say a lot of the clinics that are doing that on the side, first of all, the vaccines expire. You know, we have a computer system that tracks which vaccines expire and we send it back to the manufacturer or we discard it. Uh, we have a whole learning university on how to give vaccines, look for contraindications, latex allergies. It's a whole it's a whole business that you need to understand. You, to, you almost need to do a residency in it. And and for someone to open up an urgent care and say, oh, we're going to do some employee health on the side. You know, who is who's training that staff? And as the staff turns over, you know, even even the, look, when I got into the business, I didn't know all this. So as, and I was triple board certified. So it's so if, the people who are doing this on the side, their doctor doesn't know. So how would the medical assistant and the other people administering these vaccines know what to do? So it just became so obvious that we needed to, one, focus on this and also develop technology, which is the other huge part. You know, there was nothing off the rack that we could use, you know, Epic or any of these other, you know, it wasn't going to work. It just, it's not... You know, they're, they're, they have a different focus. So we actually just became a software development company and technology company. Um, and we just focused on quality patient user experience uh, and, and not only patient experience, but my staff's experience, because we want them to be focused on the patient, not getting maximal reimbursement or just getting paperwork done. We wanted that interaction. And, and I know you said we, you know, the 4.9 out of five Google, but even on our website, we use a third party to ask for reviews. And I, I think we have 10,000 positive reviews in the past three years, just on our website. We use a company called Listen360 to get those reviews. But uh, but it speaks to that user experience. It speaks to quality. And then, you know, you'll see a lot of compliments about my staff, which we have the most amazing staff on, in the universe. But part of it is they can focus on the patient. You know, I, I, I did a podcast uh, last year where <laughs> there were some studies published, and I don't remember the now, but like 70, 80% of a, of a provider-patient interaction is the provider or doctor staring at a computer screen. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it's the world, the way of the world, unless you're consciously making an effort to focus on the primary objective, the patient. So I, I agree with that. Let, let's talk a little bit about your staff. Who who makes up your staff? How many uh, healthcare professionals and administrative staff? What does the world of E7 Health look like when we think about who is offering, who's behind the brand? Yeah. So obviously, you know, we have, we range everything from PAs and nurse practitioners uh, to uh, medical directors, as well as we have RNs and 
medical assistance. And then we have an administrative side. And then, of course, we have this amazing, amazing technology side. So it is a marriage between clinical and administrative staff and technology. And uh, one of the things that is interesting is uh, working at E7 Health, you know, uh, a receptionist and a medical assistant can is part of our software development team. They, we have weekly meetings and they say, well, you know, it'd be nice if this auto-populated that and if this drop-down menu had two more things. And uh, I know one of my staff just came up, you know, with a brilliant idea. Like, you know, we used to have patients email us any records that they wanted to be part of their visit. And, I, and then one of my staff said, well, why don't we just have them uploaded when they're booking the appointment online? Just literally have like upload, like, you know, why do we think of that? And that came from just staff. So really, uh, you know, uh, our technology is literally, literally uh, ideas from the staff and uh, also patient comments, you know, like we when we get the reviews, like, well, it would have been nice if I had, if I could have done X, Y, and Z. So, so we've completely paperless. Everything's in the cloud. We don't. We're probably the only clinic that I know of that actually doesn't have a medical records department, because everything we do is in your portal. There, there would be. Ne- I, we can't think of a reason you'd ever call us and ask for something, and it's there for life. It's like creating an Amazon account. Like I always say, like if you wanted to know. Um, you know, what you ordered on Amazon a year ago, you wouldn't call Amazon, you would just go online. So let's talk about that, because I think that that's a great uh, segue, right? We're, we're talking about digital technology, especially in the healthcare space. And, you know, you mentioned Amazon, I'm sure there's so many other things that we are naturally like, um, I, I wouldn't want to use the word addicted, but we are so uh, skilled at now because of consistent mm-hmm. use. Uh, I can tell you my wife could probably teach anybody about Amazon. I could teach people about the Walmart (laughs) app uh, and she can teach people about Target. Like there's just things that we use so regularly that we learn some of these like little nuances. I mean, I can't remember the last time I walked into a bank for anything. I I scan, you know, if I ever get a check, which I don't, uh, you know, I can take a picture and just have it uploaded. You can order stuff. You can buy a plane ticket online. All these things are great. But when it comes to healthcare. When it comes to healthcare, there's like this barrier. There seems right. to be like this this massive chasm between what we talk about, which would be, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if this existed for a healthcare practitioner or for a patient or an administrator or whatever? But yet, when it comes to the creation of it slash implementation of it, uh, there just seems to be this thing and. I don't know if there's like one, if this is multifactorial, uh, but I would love to get your perspectives on why it is so challenging to be able to advance the needs or or advance what should be present day tools and technology for an industry that is obviously like on on exploding with with demand, uh, but just not enough support. Yeah, I mean, it's... There is one singular answer to this question. I get this question asked a lot. It's the dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about. There is a reason why medicine, who is, you know, what part of the GDP is medicine versus, you know, some of the other technology that, you know, um, and the the dirty little secret that, you know, uh, if I can say the quiet part out loud is, uh, it's insurance and government. I mean, uh, it, they, there's you have a intimate personal relationship, provider, patient, and then you've got government and insurance involved. You know, uh, the analogy you know I, I give is like going on a first date and having the chef sit at the kitchen. I mean, at the table. I mean, whatever interaction is going to happen, it's not going to be natural. Yeah, that's a good call. Okay, that's just not, it's not going to be natural, okay? So you're trying to develop technology to make the patient's life easier and the provider's life easier and provide great quality care. Then then all of a sudden, right in between is Medicare regulations, Medicaid, Medi- Medi- uh, you know, Medi-Cal or Medicaid regulations, and then you've got, you know, insurance companies. And then, so it, it just, so are you trying to, you know, if, if a couple's on a date, are you trying to make the couple happy? Are you trying to make the chef 
happy. Let's say the major D also sits down at the table. <laughs> Who, we, which kind of do we have? Do we want to have the conversation that's going to make the chef happy? We want to have the. And I know, I know that sounds like a strange analogy, but you can't, you can't write technology to make multiple people happy. It's, you'll have to pick one as your most important target. And I can tell you, let me ask you this. Let's just say tomorrow I wrote the best electronic health records imaginable that would blow away, that it makes the provide, it would take 50% of the work away from the patient, take 50% work away from the doctor or provider. Okay, and I came to you and you run a healthcare system. I'm like, look at this technology, 50% less work, 50% for both the doctor and the patient, and the user experience is a thousand times better than anything else on the market. Would you be interested in purchasing this? But before you answer, I have one thing to tell you. It will decrease your Medicare reimbursements by ten percent. Uh, <laughs> I can see the conundrum. I can see it. Yeah, you know it's so. Yeah, I'm glad that you called it out. I mean, it it. So how do we overcome that? How do we? So you're absolutely right. I can you know, and I've been in other. By the way, by the way, it's so obvious. But then you say, why? It's so obvious that people don't say it out loud. Yes. Why don't we say it out loud? Yeah. Why ahead. don't we? Why don't we? Because you know that's a great call. That I mean, I've had guests from other insurance companies on this show, and we you know we talk about utilization management, which I know is also part of your career history, which we'll talk about in a moment, right? But you know, I understand being a shepherd of good of shepherd of healthcare dollars. I understand that. But I also understand that you know when you have waste, when you have excessive over-regulation, over-regulation, uh, a lot of it is suddenly now lost in the process, both right. patient satisfaction, provider time, uh, and obviously compensation and, and reimbursement. So what what are alternatives? What are people discussing as to being able to say enough is enough? We really need to get over this hump. Well, I mean, but look, I don't. I don't blame the government regulations and the and the insurance regulation because you you know on the flip side you see all of this abuse if you know I mean you just have to pick up the newspaper and find out you know a group of doctors or healthcare systems indicted for you know falsely billing Medicare and I mean that's just like every day I mean every day somebody is trying to scam these insurance companies and government programs and you know, whatever schemes are. So of course that creates a whole conundrum for, for Medicare and insurance companies, you know, doctors doing, you know, weird stuff in their office to pad the bill. And so then, so, so that, but then the technology has got to get involved in that, you know, what, and so, it, you know, you said, what's the answer? The fact that I, I cannot articulate a good answer doesn't mean the problem doesn't exist. The, the issue really is, you know, on some level, someone could make the argument, you know, let's make health insurance like car insurance, right? Where, where you know, car insurance doesn't pay you to fill up your tank with, a, you know, gas and car insurance doesn't pay you for a tune-up and car insurance, but, you know, cat, something catastrophic, blah, 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 they're there. I mean, I, you know, in fact, so we're going away from this and we're actually doubling down with, you know, Obamacare and, but we're going even further down that rabbit hole of even more government, which I sort of get because, you know, we want people to have health insurance. But I think we just need to be cognizant as we, you know, go down that rabbit hole of even more government involvement in healthcare that, you know, um, that is going to get worse. I mean, digital technology can't compensate. For more regulation i mean think of it as like a you're in a boat a leaky boat okay and you know someone's bailing water in and someone's bailing water out you know one person you're not going to get anywhere and you add you know more and more people are now in obamacare than ever before which is great but you know that's just a whole new segment of the population that just got into government regulated uh and even private insurance, by the way, just has its own issues too, because they also have to prevent getting scammed and whatever. It, and there, of course, there are bad private insurance companies too that are trying to, you know, increase their profits by denying stuff and what have you. Not all, but there are some bad apples. So, 
it's it's this like this constant whack-a-mole <laughs> thing where uh so I mean what I'm saying I'd like to think is really what it is. And, but people want to dance around it and well yeah, because they're trying to please every single you know person at the table. And that's as you pointed out, you can you can't make everyone happy. I just, you know, I, we we talk as healthcare professionals and executives, like, you know, the patient comes first in every conversation, right? right? But at the same time, our actions don't always mount, amount to the words that we, we we espouse. And it's always like, well, how do we, you know, we have these patients that are, first and foremost, there's a large section of the population today uh, that really doesn't have access to the digital technology that they should, right? Like, there are places in, in my city where internet is not even like, you know, close to, it's not even 4G. It's still 3G. It's, it's barely operational. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's sort of like, well, how do we, you know, and I know that this is like a snowball, like it'll go into multiple different conversations. But I find that like we really need to be able to at least pilot some of these things faster to see which one might work. And you know, I mean, I've seen a few pilots, but they never go mm -hmm. beyond like you know a year. And it's always like a limited location. I'd love to be able to see if this episode can generate solutions or ideas from the listening audience. And certainly if you, you know, listening and if you have a comment, put something in the social media posts, whether it's on LinkedIn or Facebook or, or Twitter, or Instagram, wherever you're listening to this right now. But, you know, let us know, because I think it's a great way for us to be able to come to the table with an idea and flesh out the logistics. Um, you know, Jonathan, let me ask, you know, a little bit about a little bit more about E7 Health. You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, what your staff looks like. Tell me a little bit about something that you're maybe most proud of about what the company's been able to do in the last 18 or 24 months. I'm not sure if there's some initiative uh, or some uh, recent success that you've been, you know, really proud of of your team that you'd want to share on the show. Um, or if there's something that you've identified as a new need in the current post-pandemic world uh, where E7 Health is stepping in, where no one, where everyone else is leaving or no one has chosen to walk in yet. Well, I mean, um, I'm really proud of our COVID initiative. I think early on, we were one of the very few companies that launched, you know, nationwide at home, at work, saliva tests where people could, even employers could, you know, before they reopened the factory, they could literally give someone a COVID test where they would be self-administered. They didn't need someone to actually administer it and they would FedEx it to our lab and we'd get the results of them. So I think really, really proud of how we pivoted, although it wasn't really much of a pivot because we were already geared up. So, but still, I think my staff literally, you know, worked, um, you know, many, many, many hours uh, to implement that as soon as possible. So really, really, really proud of proud of them. Part of our, uh, also proud of our technology crew for you know coordinating that between uh, the lab, us, FedEx, and you know the whole, and then getting the results of the portal from the lab to us to the portal. It was a literally we had to do it. I don't want to say overnight, but pretty, pretty, pretty much quickly. And a very, 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 very proud of them. And then I think uh, the most latest thing that we rolled out a newer version <coughs> of our <coughs> um, online uh, appointment booking, which really now, you know, almost every question that we would want to know <coughs> is asked during the appointment scheduling process to minimize what you have to do when you get there. And we do send you a link so you can upload your allergies and surgeries and all that, but Pertaining to what your appointment is, we ask all the pertinent questions uh, while we're booking the appointment. So when you come in, you know, that's it. You're all set. You know, we don't. And I think that's why we have 10,000 reviews, because there's no clipboard. When you walk in, uh, you just walk in, they call you, you go get your service, you know, and if you have to sign a consent, sign an, uh, sign an iPad. And uh, so I think for us to really upgrade that to literally minimize any friction a patient would have. Uh, I'm really proud of the team for for rolling that out. And so I think it's really, <clears throat> it's helped my staff, you know, focus more on the patients too, because we're not worried about asking those questions and and getting that information. So again, that's another technolo technology uh, breakthrough for us that I'm really proud of. 
You know, the, the time-saving piece on the patient's behalf uh, is such an asset. And I'm saying that just because I went for an ultrasound uh, maybe like three days ago. And, you know, having the opportunity to fill out all of the paperwork on my schedule at my time using a mobile device uh, and just having it done in advance is such an asset. Because what you described is exactly what happened. I walked in, the fifth person in line all four of the other people had to invest an extra 30 minutes of their time to fill it all out when I had already done so. And they whisked me in 15 minutes, whisked back out. And I got to start my day. So it makes a huge, huge difference. And, you know, having that technology is not as ubiquitous as I'd like to believe. It's not everywhere yet. Uh, so the fact that you're able to do that for, for employees and students and companies that are very busy, like there's a lot going on in the world that we're dealing with today. So yeah, but you know, let, let me challenge that though by saying we know that technology exists, right? So I'm sure almost everybody listening to this has, even in the last 12 months, gone to a medical stash establishment and been handed a clipboard. Why is that? What, what, I mean, it's not like it doesn't exist. You know, why? why is why are we still handing people clipboards uh, and next time you know you go in and somebody hands you a clipboard i mean i think i take a mental note like you know why well it speaks to the quality right like if if this is what i'm experiencing at the at the beginning of this of this journey with this provider with this clinician what else is going to be delayed what well, else do i not know yeah, that, yeah that's my you know i i think i think you know I just think their technology is much more focused on maximal reimbursement from the insurance company or Medicare or Medicaid. And this becomes a, you know, that's, you know, just like a side thing to upgrade that or because it's not going to maximize your reimbursements if you invest in that technology necessarily. We'll be right back after this short break. Jonathan, when we think about employee health, uh, there are so many fluctuations that are happening in the labor market, but yet, you know, the requirements and the regulations for bringing on board new talent into a health system and giving them all the, 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 the requirements that they need in terms of vaccinations and labs, those are all still going to be there. What do you see as the future of employee health? Do you feel that it's going to need to change in the next few years to be able to keep up? With existing regulations, do you think it just needs to be completely overhauled? Like, or, or do you see companies just simply, you know, abandoning it from an in-house perspective and going outside and, and bringing in vendors? What like, I don't know what you've seen or what you speak, hear of when you speak with colleagues in this area. Right. Well, you know, I, I break it up into three categories uh, because the, uh, not all companies are the same, right? So you have super large corporations, you know. Uh, who uh, can have their own program. Then you see mid-sized companies who traditionally try to outsource it. And then you see lower-end companies who just don't do it. I mean, I mean, and the perfect example, if I can start with the bot bottom class, is your typical doctor's office or dentist's office. I mean, I, was, I don't know what the number is, but I'm going to say it is an OSHA requirement. You know, even think of like a solo practitioner sitting in his office with two medical assistants. Theoretically, by OSHA standards, you know, those medical assistants need yearly stuff and pre-employment stuff, but they just don't do it because OSHA is not going to show up in in some doctor's office, you know, in Kansas, whatever. Right. For three people. So I, with three people. Right. So so that, that whole segment just doesn't do it, or by and large doesn't do it. And actually, let me take it to the next one. They don't even know they need to do it. Uh, you know, yeah, so dentists are a little bit different. A lot of them don't do it, but a lot of them have to be OSHA compliant for non other for other things. So they often get an OSHA consultant who then tells them, yes, every one of your dental hygienists needs this, 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 this. So dentists, I think, get it more than small primary care offices and stuff. But there's a whole segment just just ignores it. And often dentists do it when they're getting audited. You know, then all of a sudden they're scrambling to get all this employment health stuff. Uh, that happens a lot. Uh, and then you have the large companies, you know, Apple and, you know, hospitals, for example, they have their own employee health department. Major universities all have student health departments. But again, for every one hospital, 
you know, there's, you know, uh, there is uh, home health companies and surgery centers. And so they can't afford the bandwidth of having an office with a, uh, you know, employee health nurse and what have you. So if you divide it up, so the higher tiers, you know, will bring in, you know, Walgreens or somebody or some other company to create like a clinic in their campus or something, right? Uh, the smaller ones will sort of ignore it often. And then you have the middle that, you know, do a sort of like a hybrid thing of, you know, outsourcing a little bit of insourcing and depending on on where. And lastly, you know, I think, you know, E7, you know, we haven't rolled out nationally yet. So th there is no one place that people can go to, you know, I mean, people look at our website like, oh, but a lot of people do what we do. But you know, we created our own space. Nobody really does what we do. I and mean, it's hard to explain, but and and have their own technology for it. So they just are, you know, do a random, you know, well, we'll, you know, let this urgent care do our vaccines and this doctor will do our physicals and the health department will do our vaccine, our vaccines, and this lab will do our laboratory testing and our titers, and and this flu shot company will do our flu shots, and it's a hodgepodge. Uh, and I think this is where our opportunity is. We come in, you know, and uh, once we get a large enough footprint, and we have a big footprint in Southern Nevada, but as we get a larger footprint, I think there's an opportunity to address this need for mid-sized companies to get their employee health services and also mid-sized schools to get their student health service, mid and small schools uh, to get their student health services because they can't afford to have a student health department. So, you know, what I find interesting is I, I I can completely understand it. And I've seen the small size organizations, uh, as you've described, because that is true. Uh, I, and at least I've seen it with my own eyes from the examples I know. But what I also find interesting is that large size organizations that have uh, employee health departments in-house are not able to keep up with the demand. And that might just be like a cyclical thing or a seasonal thing. But the more I talk to individuals at the large size companies, the more they're struggling to be able to meet their uh, service level agreements. Uh, and they're, they're looking to outsource again because they're just not able to keep up with the demand and the cycle of new employees coming in and what's required. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'd be, you know, if, if that helps you and, and, and others in this industry understand that, you know, just because what you might think is like, oh, well, they already have it. Like I can tell you at least one organization I talked to recently uh, was struggling because not only has their department like maximized their FTE or headcount for that department, but they also don't have enough resources to be able to run all the tests. Yeah, but 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 here, here's the struggle. I mean, as you're telling me this, what's running through my brain with these bigger organizations is something that is not obvious. But employee health services is divided into parts. One is actually administering things that are needed, like the shots, the titers, uh, the physical. The, there's another component which is managing the data. Yes. Okay. And that's where they have no, they don't have expertise. They don't have the technology. So if OSHA shows up on their doorstep or Jayco shows up on their doorstep and says, you know, give me, show me the, all the TB skin tests for your clinic or for your surgery center in Iowa versus, you know, they, they have Excel spreadsheets, believe it or not often. And so, so I think part of it is when you look at the manpower in an employee health department, you know, it's our estimate that we actually think 75% of the manpower is spent on data management. Who hasn't had a TB skin test this year? Who's had, you know, who didn't get their flu shot, you know, and where do we store the records? And when the lab sends it back to us, where do we put that data? You know, so it's, okay, we, we get a tighter back, but where, where does it really go? And so I think data management, you know, is really the, often the rate limiting factor in these big organizations they don't have you know what 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 software solution are they using to manage all that data a lot of them wind up using sort of you know technologies that's written for workman's comp which then is sort of on the side doing employee health but they're not the same and so i think just having great technological solution uh it, is amazing. I, I can tell you 
in our organization, our technology probably saves us. I mean, we'd have to have double to triple the staff we do. I remember when we first started, we were scanning stuff and it was a whole, it was a whole production to manage the data. Now we've got it where a company, when it, when a company signs an account with us and they want their employee health records, we have a company portal, not even a patient portal. And the company can go in and say, okay, and we can set up that portal any way they want. We can customize their dashboard so that we can say, hey, I want to search per location. Or let's say I want to search per per uh, employee status. So if they're in the accounting department, I like it segregated like that. Or if they're in the you know this department, I want it done by job position. I want it so we can customize their dashboard because our electronic health records is ensemble as CRM. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because we're not we're not trying to make Medicare happy and Medicaid happy, and you know, so we are actually trying to make you know our customers happy, and so. If you write your electronic health records with the idea that you want to make life easy for the patients and and the companies who are sending them to you or the schools, you can customize your software so it when they need information, it's readily available. So we become a data uh, solution in addition to providing the service. Dr. Bakhtari, you're such, I mean, when you speak, it's, I can see the visions that are coming from you and it's really remarkable, right? And I think that that's necessary in the world when, when the listeners are listening today, like they need to have somebody give them a picture of how the world works from a data management perspective. I cannot, I cannot agree with you a hundred more than what I already agree with, because it is so vital to have that information, not just available, but to analyze it and to be able to produce it in a quick, uh, in an efficient capacity. One of the things I wanted to talk about, I mean, I, I take a look at your career history. It's very remarkable. Obviously today you're the chief executive officer of E7 Health. Uh, and I believe also that includes US drug test centers as well. Prior to that, you were a system medical director for utilization management at UHS. Uh, You've also been the medical director for the state of Nevada at Anthem and the chief uh, internal medicine. uh, uh, You were also the chief of internal medicine at Desert Springs Hospital. You've had a very long, amazing, incredible career. Uh, And now today, like you're offering this value added service to so many uh, clients and uh, customers. So I, I'm always curious to know, like when you've had so many huge milestones along the way, um, are there ones that stick out to you more prominently where you think like that's going to be tough to beat going forward? Because I'm really proud of what I've done in this space. I, I, and I'd love to know what that looks like, because I think listening audiences are, you know, always looking to say, well, you know, what what should I strive for? And when they hear it from one of my guests, they're like, oh, that's something pretty cool. But from a guest perspective, like, what do you look back at your career and think that was a lot of fun? I learned a lot, or that was one of the best things that I've ever done so far, and hope to continue to do outside of what you're currently doing today. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question. That's a really good question. Um, but I, you know, for someone who's not seeing patients, uh, and I, I don't necessarily miss it or not miss it. Uh, but I would say the funnest thing was seeing patients. I have, I have to tell you that um, the the ability to impact people directly, it you know, when you really think, despite all those other accomplishments, uh, I think the the ability to really have you know um, an impact on people, and you know, I, it took me a long time to cultivate that skill of like being in a room with a patient and really focusing on them, you know. Uh, whether it was a, you know, a 10 minute follow up visit or a one hour, you know, new patient visit, uh, to be able to, you know, have the patient leave and say, oh, that guy, he was all there. I mean, like, it's, it's and I try to teach this to medical students, like, are you all there? I mean, are you really 1000% there? Are you trying to understand their pain? Are you trying to understand their perspective? Are you really, or are, are you just rushing through a script? You know, or, okay, I said all the right things, but are you asking open-ended questions? Are you are you probing and prying? Are you finding out secondary motives for them being there and tertiary motives? And do you, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, that took me a long time. I worked on it for a very long time. 
to kind of get there. And uh, I, I that was the most fun. That was really the most fun to be able to be in a room and just, you know, be present and 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 try to offer, you know, help. Uh, for me, that that was, uh, you know, the funnest part. Now people say, well, why, why did you stop? But I, I think, you know, uh, it, it's okay to have a great experience and 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 move on and say okay now I can be challenged by other stuff or I could try to help in other ways you know why there, there are more than one ways you can help and you know and you can help you know one patient at a time or you know maybe after you do that for a while maybe there's a way you can help thousands of patients at a time by coming up with some so it's not you know I always joke like just because you like pizza doesn't mean you're going to eat it every night. I mean, you know, <laughs> right? Just because you like the, your two week vacation, you know, in Florida doesn't mean you're going to, you know, have a, a t- yeah or have a ten week vacation in Florida. You know, I mean, you can like things and enjoy things and say okay and call it for what it is, but say no. Okay, are there other ways I can contribute? I think that that's a very helpful way to frame that. I, you know, a lot of people have asked me, well, why would you, you know, you, you practiced pharmacy for so long and now you, you know, you've worked in a corporate role and you've done HR and TA, but why would you ever leave? And the reality of it for me was, you know, I, I've realized very quickly that as many patients as we had coming to our pharmacy, uh, I was probably only making an impact on maybe 10% because those are the ones that were willing and wanting to have a conversation, open up, answer questions, and really develop that relationship. But I guess my philosophy was, well, if I can find other people that have the same heart and the same mindset as I do to be able to have those types of conversations, then at least I can help impact a larger number of people through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you are right. Uh, so I guess I, I'll, I'll ask Jonathan, like whenever you have, do you ever have like cravings for patient care? Like, do you ever just sneak back into the clinic just once mm-hmm. or twice a year to be like, hi, I'm Dr. Bakhtari. <laughs> would love to know, you know, what's going on with you today. Just, uh, you know, like you said, you sometimes you can love pizza. You don't have to eat it all the time, but do you ever sneak a slice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's a good question. Well, you know, um, I still do medicine for, I mean, I have my license, whatever. So I still do medicine for friends and family. And, you know, it's, you know, I always say, you know, I, I, I spent all those years taking care of people. I didn't know, you know, they literally, I just walk into my office. I didn't know. And I, hopefully I took good care of them, great care of them, but how much even more joy to take care of family and friends. And so in fact, literally an hour ago, I, I got a phone call from, uh, from someone I admire a lot. And, you know, he said, oh, I've been not feeling well. My pulse ox is like 87 and we walked through it and we did and uh, so I, I'm on speed dial for a lot, a lot of people, um, which is fun. That must be a good feeling, too. Yeah. We, we, you just mentioned somebody that you really admire. And one of the questions I always ask my guests is, you know, we we as individuals understand uh, that as a leader, we've not we've not forged our own path completely. There's nobody that really does. There's always somebody that at some point in our career, maybe early on, maybe midpoint, maybe even now. Uh, they either guide us in a way that you know helps us see the world or the the opportunity in a better light. Sometimes they you know pour into us their advice, their knowledge. Sometimes they kick down doors for us, and they really become the mentors and sponsors that help us advance our career and give us chances. Are there people in your career that you would like to be able to say you know it's because of John or Mary or Muhammad or whoever it is that you really feel a certain amount of uh, debt or gratitude to? or for because of what they've done for you in order to get to where you are today? Uh, you know, it really goes way back to when I was a senior in high school and, you know, contemplating what I was going to do. And I think a lot of seniors, at least when I was looking at it, are intimidated by thought, the thought of trying to go into medicine, just, you know, what it was going to entail. You got to get a 4.0, you got to get the take them cats, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a high school senior, I was like thinking, oh, well, is that a mountain I could even climb? And one of my best friend's older brother was just starting medical school. And he sat me down, I vividly remember. And uh, he gave me this inspiring talk that, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of hard work. It has nothing to do with, oh, I took AP biology or I didn't take AP biology. That if you just work really hard, meaning if you worked harder than anyone else in any one of your classes, you put in more hours, you are going to get an A. And he just convinced me of that I just said, listen, if you, you're in a class, 100 people, 
someone's going to put in the most hours of studying. Who, if you're that guy, you're getting an A. And 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 that was just like a formula. And and uh, for whatever reason, I believed them. <laughs> and you applied and, it, and it worked. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah. yeah. So I try to pass that on to people now. But um, yeah, I, his name is Robert, and you know, I forever. I'm. I'm in. I we still. I still see him, and he's an amazing. Uh, you know, mentor. I don't know if he remembers that. I kind of told him along the way. But I hope he listens to the episode and recognizes that you're talking about him. Yeah. So uh, I can tell you his full name, but he's he's a surgeon, by the way. You, you can look up Robert Rosen. He's works out in Chicago area, and he's been. Uh, I don't know if he'll remember giving me that talk, but uh, Robert was really inspirational as a young person. You know, the the thing about going into medicine is you you basically have to decide you're going into medicine at 18, right? You can't decide it at 22 because you've already like been through college and you probably joined a frat and you know didn't study and you have a three point GPA and you're not getting into med school. So you have, and so the question really is: Are 18 year olds really, you know? at a point in their life where they 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 know what they want to do at 32 and 42 but you got to make the decision then yes of course there are other people who yeah there's people yeah who go to med school in their 20s and 30s whatever but for most people that decision is made at 18 and i i just don't think i was equipped you know with the you know the information if it wasn't for him probably mentoring me a little i don't know if i would have gotten it right I'm glad that you had that, and I'm glad that he's still around. So he's in Chicago, and I'm outside of Chicago. So I will, I will certainly look him up and and let him know. Yeah, he's in. I think he lives in Skokie, so you can look him up. That's like about 20 minutes from the house. So maybe I'll just drive past. Is he still practice? Yeah, he still practice. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, he's, and he's an amazing surgeon, by the way. So yeah, amazing surgeon. So, John, when you think about what you see for yourself from a, you know, from the next milestone for you and your company, what is next for you? Like when you think about where you want E7 Health and your staff and you yourself, like what big goal, big initiative have you established to say, hey, by the time we wrap up 2023, I really want to be able to say that we've done this or that I've done this or something that you're setting that you're actually investing your time, energy and effort to making sure that that needle is moving in that direction and that you can plant a flag at that mountain afterwards. Yeah, I think our goal is to probably spend another six to 12 months buttoning down our technology to make it very scalable so we can open up clinics, you know, other places and literally, you know, have everything uh, supported. And then, uh, you know, I think we're just probably going to have to prove our concept outside of Southern Nevada. So uh, probably, you know, probably a round of financing, raising money to open up 10, 20 clinics. Uh, but uh, we think uh, we long term, we can op- open up as many as 500 clinics nationwide and have a national footprint. So I think that that would be sequentially the next step, sort of doing a first round of fundraising to open up 10, 20, 30 clinics, prove the concept. Uh, and then take it to the next level. Excellent. That's a very good goal to have. And I'm absolutely wishing nothing but success for you and E7 Health in that space. Thank you. Jonathan, one of the, you know, when when I look at you and when and when we talk, you know, there's an opportunity for new talent to come into your organization and bring in a lot of different skills and expertise. But there's also a filter that they have to pass when they're speaking to your staff and you that helps you decide if this individual really has what it takes to be a part of the, the organization. Um, and for sometimes, you know, you can look at a resume and get glean a couple of things here and there, but it's really the interview or the conversation that takes place that helps you establish what qualities they're really bringing to the table. And so I always ask, you know, what are the three things that you look for in a person when you think, I think this individual would be a good fit for us because here's what they're bringing. Or if it's not somebody from an outside perspective coming in, when you think about helping promote somebody from within your staff to another level, what are qualities or characteristics that really have to be there for you to say this person's ready? Yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, I can think of two things. I mean, the number one skill that I would say is culturally, are you coming in uh, and will you become an owner 
versus a renter. And that, that analogy is, you know, we've all rented a house at some point or rented an apartment. You know, when you rent, you know, and let's say you rent a house and you walk it, you know, you're walking the front door, you, there may be a plant next, you know, next to the door that, you know, if you looked at it, it's probably looks like it's not getting enough water, struggling a little bit. If you're renting, you don't even notice. If you own that house and you walk in, he's, oh, that, you know, that plant looks like it's struggling, you know, <laughs> wow. Or, you know, if there's, you know, a scrape on the door or whatever renters and owners look differently and and what i always say is when you first bought, bought your first car or you know if you rented a car versus when you actually buy a car right when you're renting a car you're like you park it anywhere you know the first time you buy a car you're like you park it like at the end of the parking lot so nobody <laughs> bangs into it i'm sure people have had that experience when they first time they bought a car they're like they're like you know a half a mile away from the target or walmart you know because they don't want anyone to start a new car. It, and that's a mindset. Nobody gave you a manual that said, okay, when you buy a new car or get a new house, be really concerned about scratches and dings and da da da. It, you, you know, I mean, nobody, had, you didn't have to take a course. Okay. And that's what we talk about. You know, when you join a company, assuming you like their vision and you, you think they're going to take care of you, of course, you got to have that too. That then you say, okay, I'm all in. I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna treat this like a career, like I'm an owner, right? And uh, now that doesn't happen on week one, but long term, and also the company also has to be there to take care of you. You can't be a commodity to the company, you know, and they got to respect you and value you and look out for you, and the boss has got to work for you, not you work for the boss. I mean, he's got to be looking out for you. How how do I make everyone's life better? You know, I, and um, and then so, yeah, so it's this idea that I'm going to be an owner, not a renter. And the, the one question that I really cuts to the chase is, uh, you know, I tell my staff, hey, if I sold you the company for a dollar, okay, we just signed the paper right now, you give me a dollar, would you come come to work tomorrow? Not necessarily work longer hours, but would you give me a different product? Okay, and if you tell me yes, then why don't you give me that product now? I'm not asking you to work longer hours. I like okay. that approach. Right, I'm, I'm not asking you to work, yeah. But if you're telling me I sell you the company, you come and give me a different product. And I've asked people like, like if I and like, yeah, I, I, well, if I own the company, yeah, I, I, I definitely, I'd, I'd want to know about this. I'd, I'd want to know about that. I. Yeah, I want to know what other people are doing. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Now, in all fairness, we have to be in a position to take care of them, you know, you know, compensate them appropriately, give them, you know, uh, upward mobility, professionally, financially, respect them and all of those other stuff, give them the tools they need. But let's, you know, assuming an employer can do that, uh, then, then you have a really relationship that would work. I mean, you have to, you know, as leaders in the organization have to get up in the morning and say, what can we do to make the lives of our the people in our organization better? Not like what can we get out of them? But the flip side of that is you got to wake up every morning and say, I own this company, right? Um, and so, you know, just like, you know, uh, somebody may walk back, you know, walk past the you know, machine that's broken or whatever, like, oh, someone else will take care of it. But the owner's like, whoa, 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 let me take care of that or let me bring that to someone's attention. So, and I think that you asked me for three, the other thing that I like to think is really soft skills. You know, we all know what soft skills are, but really, do you, you know, can, do you have or can you acquire soft skills is critical thinking, you know, when, when you, one of the, one of the funniest scenes that I always, I actually play it in meetings. There's a scene in, uh, when my kids were little, they would watch this movie called A Bug's Life. It's a cartoon movie. <laughs> and there's a scene, I mean, you should, if you find it, you could put it in the podcast. There's a scene where the ants are walking and there's a leaf in the middle and they all come to a screeching halt saying, what do we do? What do we do? There's a leaf. And then like the main ant comes and goes, okay, I have a solution. Slowly walk around the leaf. Yeah, yeah. It's a really cute scene in the bug's life. Uh, and it's this, like, you know, you get an obstacle, you know, 
at least at least make an attempt to walk around it. And those are what I call soft skills. So I think those are, you know, do you own the company? Do you have soft skills? I, you know, so I love that because I, I, I agree with you. I think that there's, I don't know if something, if people can change over time, if they've gone from like a renter to an owner's mindset, I'm sure it's very likely, right? But there has to be life experiences that cause them to be able to say, well, wait a minute, like that wasn't mine, but now this is mine. And so I'm going to take greater care of it. It's not something you can teach. Um, as you said, it's kind of instinctive. You just have this protective perspective. But from the soft skills perspective, are there resources that when you think about new hires for E7 Health or people that you're developing, like where do you, what what sort of books, videos, speakers, you know, how do you help get them to adopt, acquire, and envelop those types of soft skills that you want to see in your leader or in your in your staff? Are there specific people that you turn to yourself for your own leadership development? Or is there like a book that like suddenly changed it for you and you just give it out to everybody that's a part of an E7 Health family now? Yeah, that's that's a really uh, good question. Um, so a couple of things. First of all, when you say you know converting people, sometimes I've come to the well, I've come to the belief that uh, it's not necessarily converting them; it's where you caught them in life. Mm. You know, like I could hire you at twenty four, and you would be a disaster, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I could hire you at twenty eight, and you'd be like godsend to, to the company. Or, or, or I could have, you know, where are you in your life? Because look, I, I mean, just play back in your own. I, there have been times in my life, I just wanted a job. I just wanted a paycheck. Okay, I, I'm not trying to, you know, change the world, you know. And so that's number one. You know, where did you catch them in their lives? Okay. And I actually say that during interviews, like, where did I catch you, you know, now, listen, I'm, nobody in the interview says, oh, Dr. Bakhtar, you caught me. Oh, I got to admit, I'm just looking for a paycheck. That's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you got it out of me. <laughs> okay, I'm. this is, yes, I, I you yeah. know, I got to pay off up, my the car. The jig is up, you, you caught me. Yeah, you, you, th that was a great question. How did you catch me? That never happens. So obviously, we could have a whole podcast on the interview process. You know, and it's just an artificial situation where I tell you what you want to hear. You tell me what it's like being on a first date. Nobody says they snore on their first date. I mean, it's just not not going to happen. Right. And so that whole interview thing, we could have a whole new podcast on that is completely artificial. But beyond that, yeah, I mean, you, did you catch them at the right time? And then also their work history. You know, obviously, if you've had 10 jobs, where the employer said, listen, this you're a commodity. We're here to do a transaction. You show up to work. You know, you're nice to everybody. You're nice to the customers. Okay. And you get through the day. You don't piss anyone off. And you do these five things. And every two weeks, we give you a paycheck. That's our deal. Okay. And you've had 10 of those in a row. And then you come to E7 Health and they're like, are you an owner? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Like, I got a job at Macy's shoe department. Look, Macy, Macy's is not counting on me to change Macy's stock price, right? They're like, okay, just come to the shoe department at this time, be nice to the customers, be nice, you know, like sell a few, you know, pairs of shoes, go home, come back, do it again, and we'll send you a paycheck. And so I think part of that, especially for young people, they need additional mentoring. And it's income, you have a duty as an organization to let them know that, yeah, this might be different. And, you know, that takes a while for it to fall in. It's, your, it's on you. You have the responsibility as an organization to say, and again, I'm not knocking Macy's, but you have to say, we're not Macy's. We're not Subway. We're not Best Buy. You know, this, uh, or we're not just uh, some doctor's office where, you know, you're just going to, you know, um, whatever. So the, the question that really is, are you doing a good job of conveying that, listen, we really have an opportunity here. You know, the sky is the limit professionally and financially. Um, and literally, you could be president, vice president of this company. 
if you play your cards right. And it doesn't matter where you come into the organization. I don't know if I got it right. I remember like I once saw a thing that the head of Walmart China was somebody who was hired as a boxer, you know, originally. We just would, you know, I, I, I don't know if I got that story right, but it's something like that. And I'm thinking, oh, what a great, you know, box boy was he? I mean, he wasn't, I mean, it was something else. It wasn't like he moved the boxes really well. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it was some intangible soft skill ownership mentality. Those are the people who climb to the top. Right. I mean, nobody says, oh, the way you move those boxes is incredible. I see management in your future because of that. You're right. Right. So just doing your job well, you know, it's just like this extra, you know, even if you're working at Macy's, hey, you know, uh, I see a lot of people coming and asking for this particular model. Maybe, maybe we should do an advanced order of this so we don't run out versus if you're just there, you're like, well, well when it runs out, it runs out. You know, then we, then we tell the customer we don't have any more. So I find that so fascinating. Uh, and, you know, it, it there is there's a large percentage, I would say, from, you know, an employee perspective that do have that mindset, which is it is what it is. It's outside of my control. But those that exert just just a fraction of extra effort to to think about how to problem solve before the problem arises, uh, that's that's usually the thing that sticks out. Um, so you are absolutely right. And, you know, as a leader, I, I have to say I'm very I'm very glad to hear how you, you know, how you help mentor and help guide those that are either under, you know, either members of your staff. I know you also teach at, you know, schools. So when you go there, I'm sure that you're giving them this type of advice where they are unsure of what it is that they need to do. So to have you talk about that on this show is is very meaningful because I think a lot of times people are so accustomed to the idea of following a cookie cutter plan, right? Like you and I have both gone to professional school and we followed the class curriculum that they gave to us. And, and you know, you had like a choice of an elective or two uh, to be able to take. But, you know, for the most part, 90% of it was presented to you and you you got to the end, you got your degree and voila, that's what you think you're going to get. But in reality, um, you know, you really need to be able to provide for them that perspective. And I'm glad that you're doing that. So thank you for that. Um, Dr. Bakhtari, we only have a few moments left, but I really just want to thank you for being on the show today, for really providing the listeners uh, of this episode of this podcast some great insights. Very excited to see what E7 Health has in store for the remainder of this year and next year. You're really glad that you shared uh, what your goal is. I'm I'm excited to see venture capitalists maybe potentially reach out to you after this show airs uh, and and talk to you about what your vision is because I do see the need for this is growing. Again, my vantage point as a talent acquisition leader. But um, very excited. Thanks so much for being on the show and for imparting your advice. And as always, I wish you nothing but the best, all the success, and I continue to look forward to seeing you take healthcare to a higher level. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Hire podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.